Have you guys ever wondered how much shit can get fucked in one episode? Well, this an- well, this episode will answer that question for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ruby Moments podcast, where we are going to be discussing for this time episode two of volume eight, as things are getting very, very dicey. Uh, as once again, I am Pink Rose, your lovely host for today, as lovely as I can be. And with today, we are with the resident Irishman Bionic. I am ready to laugh at children being beaten up. We are here with Vanta. Hello. Robot Vanta is back in the house. We have the <laughs> bird. We have the bird with the keen eye for animation time. Car. Uh, the resident Australian man who we hope uh, doesn't get poisoned by the many things in Australia. Borvac. Bouncy. And the American fuck yeah fates. I can't wait to see a rich white girl get turned into a pretzel. <laughs> we will get onto that part <laughs> later. But yes, as I said, this is episode two, and this is all. Uh, and this episode is titled "Refuge." Why that is? Well, I will tell you. With so with this, uh, we'll be structuring it into five different parts in this episode because something really big happens at the end of the episode now just to point out that everyone here uh i am gonna bring obviously the big thing in this episode at the very end but i won't i will not talk about the little hints that it gives during the episode until the very end so understood yeah so the first very but the first very first thing that we see in episode two is the four prisoners of Crow, Robin, Jacques, and Arthur Watts. As we see, uh, we see uh, the bloody uh, little uh, thing that used to belong to Clover before Clover died uh, that Crow still has as we hear the voice of Robin talking to someone we thought could have been Crow um, saying that it's all this person's fault. But then we see Jacques, she's talking to Jacques Jacques using the very famous Schnee line of I am a victim as well and then talking about his dealings with Arthur and so on and so forth uh, until Jacques pulls out Crow being a murderer but Robin believes or says that she believes that Crow is not the one to have murdered Clover and is completely innocent. Well, Arthur is just laid back, relaxing, just saying how they're all just going to be stuck there for the foreseeable future. Except for Jacques, who believes that his son Whitley is going to talk to the right people to get him out of this prison, which we see is made out of hard light dust. But uh, later down the line, we see the uh, something from the trailer that we saw before, which was the Atlesian guards coming in to take, uh, well, uh, going into the... <coughs> into the cell of Arthur as Arthur's just being his cocky self gets hit with the blunt with pretty much uh, by the gun that they always use by the blasters, whatever you want to call them and just gets dragged away after getting knocked out by the guards. As we then see Robin is just really, really down on her lark, just saying that they can't, that she doesn't really think they can do anything. And so Crow finally has his first line in this in the in the volume where he says they can do something by murdering the person that that got them into jail who are they talking about is it Iwood? is it Tyrion? who knows 
But Bionic, I will pass this on to you. What was your initial thoughts of this, well, short first scene of these characters? I will simply say this: this was the best Robin has ever been in the show. <laughs> I gotta say, Robin was very fun in this scene, and I can understand how she feels. The line uh, "Arthur" was as funny as he ever is, and seeing him get hit is still equally hilarious. And I'm still sad at because I do I love this boy. And Jacques is Jacques. We all hate him. It's a fact of life. Simple. It, I like the small. Scene. I like the small bit of Crow when the Alasian guards came in. He put away the uh, the badge, as it shows he doesn't want to give it up to anyone, which makes a lot of sense. Give me a sec. <laughs> Excuse me. Ah, there we go. The scene is very short, very simple. Gets to the point of everything. I like it. I like the um the cell designs. It's very simple, and I think time's gonna talk about it more. But the lighting of this room when it zooms out is, I think it's very pleasing. But that's mostly all I have to say. I think it's a good scene, and hearing Crow finally speak is a good thing. Even though by technicality we hear him speak twice, but that's only a joke. That's only a bit if you realize the voice actor of a particular boy. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I got that's all I gotta say. I think Vanta was next. Yep, Vanta is next. What about you, Vanta? Right, what did you think of this scene? So, this scene in particular, um, I know I wasn't in the last one, but I do like this scene overall. Is the fact that it gives us an insight into what everyone's thinking and it shows where people stand, what lines have been drawn, and it shows almost it shows basically two different sides it still shows because and the reason i say that is because there's salem side which has uh watts and by extension has Jacques a little bit because of what happened in volume seven and then it also has you know ozpin side where it's crow and robin and even though Robin was never fully in on everything that Ospin was doing, she still like backed up Crow and is like, he's not the one that killed Clover. And this is actually something that I want to point out. It's the fact that if Crow killed Clover, why would he hold on to something that belonged to the person he killed? Why would he be crying as the Atlas military picked him up? That's something that, you know, just doesn't make sense if he's being accused of killing uh, Clover. Yes, his weapon may have been used, but it wasn't him. <clears throat> and they should have figured out that, you know, Tyrion escaped somehow. Something happened, but they don't have all the details. So he shouldn't be that bad. But I just, I like this scene overall because it gives the mental standpoint of where everyone is much like what happened in the previous episode, even though I wasn't here for it, you know, it just, it shows you where everyone is, what everyone's thinking about. And I honestly think that what Crow's hinting at may actually not be, be Ironwood, even though it pans to it. I think it's, I think it's leaning more towards Tyrion, as Tyrion was kind of the person that put them in this situation. Okay, Tyrion okay. and Watts, I should say. Yeah, yeah, of course. 
Uh, okay, now on to time with obviously Crow being his favorite character or being your favorite character. Uh, time finally being able to see the boy uh, very early on in the volume. What was your take on this on this scene? My man's is pissed. <laughs> he is he has gone from kind of calm and usually frequently upset to murder. That's not good. He is definitely upset, and it doesn't matter who he's talking about, as far as I'm concerned. Whoever he's alluding to is going to uh, die. Very bad. But, as Bionic said, yes, the lighting in that cell was very good, and the texture work on uh, the the little uh, hard light cells was actually kind of nice. Though... Shirtless Watts in the in the in the in the, uh, in the picture there uh, when it came up on the uh, on the hard light dust cell that that that's a little that's a little strange. Just yeah, actually. I thought that quite weird as well. But then again, it's very very far away, so it could be anything. Uh, anything else? Time. Um. Uh. No. Uh, I'm I'm good. Okay, then we'll move on to Australian Zone Borvac. What about you? I like this Team Brass. <laughs> this is Team Brass, straight up. Wait, what? Team Brass. I'm fucking shipping it now. Team Brass. Crow Bronwyn <laughs> Robin. You have Arthur Watts and Jacques Schnee. Team Brass. <laughs> Oh gosh! I what feel you like mean? these four, be the as the much team. as they as much as they hate each other, they're gonna work together to fucking go and take vengeance out on fucking Ironwood. That's that's <laughs> the definite. <laughs> they all have a common it. enemy in Ironwood. It's a very beautiful scene. The fucking entire area is very beautiful. The one thing nobody's picked up on yet is the fact that fucking Jacques shit his pants. <laughs> fucking Robin Sorry, what? punched that Robin punched that fucking hard light wall so hard that Jacques shit his pants while he was trying to be all cocky. <laughs> he did. He really did. Yeah. He really did. It's great. Fucking Jacques getting punched in the face. Fucking pretty gnarly. Not gonna <laughs> lie. Beat the man while he's down. Uh, I think the path of vengeance is probably not the way to go about it. But also another thing I want to mention, since everyone else was mentioning the badge, uh, the reason why he's holding on to it is it's because it's his bloody good luck charm. Mm. There we go. That's all I wanted to say. So much for a good luck charm. Uh, yeah, it's his yeah. bloody good Jesus. luck charm. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Literally. Uh, but yeah, uh, Mr. Fates, what about you? <laughs> Um, there is a very particular thing that I'm surprised you didn't bring up because, well, well, I guess it could be safe for me since I'm the Watts boy of this group, but the line that he said before he got punted with the gun made me laugh really fucking hard when it was in the, um, when it, when I was watching the episode live. It was like, you realize you've already caught me, right? Smack. And the, the reason why that killed me is because it's like, it shows that even when he is in jail and, like, under Ironwood's watch, he still doesn't give two shits, and he's still going to be 
the same as he always is, even he though like the second coming of Roman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really am looking forward to um to seeing something happen to Jacques. I do not like him. Uh, none of us do. Um, and then. The other thing I do like I I don't want to mention things that have already been said. Um but uh something that I am also wondering when it comes to this that I don't think anyone mentioned is I wonder well I I wonder if Crow's going to get out using his bird form. Like for example, if they open the thing, he turns into a bird, flies out, he's out of the cell. But I guess that's just hopeful thinking. Um, but I yeah, don't since, think he'd want to go off on his own. Yeah, since I don't really have anything else to say, since everything else has already been said, Pink, to you? Uh, yeah, just a nice little short scene. Like, it doesn't give us too much, but it still gives us enough. Uh, kind of like what Vanta said, you kind of see where everyone is in terms of their mind space where crow is just the silent i'm gonna absolutely take my harbinger and do what Tyrion did to clover and stab someone robin trying to be the optimist of like like while being angry shark be like almost like down on her luck but trying to be optimistic like i don't know what to do despite wanting to do something about it uh Jacques being a cocky little arsehole that i just want to strangle to death even after death and then you just have Arthur who's just accepted the fate of, yeah, I'm going to be here forever. What do you fucking do? Um, but nice little scene. Uh, good, good hearing from Crow again. Really nice hearing from Crow. One of the best, probably one of the more most consistently good characters in the show, despite some of the downfalls that uh, that Rupi has had in certain volumes. <clears throat> five. Uh, one thing I do want to mention in this volume, somebody might be able to answer this for me, I have no idea, um, is Jacques still has the bruised eye. Now, if we remember back in volume 5, and obviously volume 1, where what Pira and Jean said is that Aura is the one that heals their bodies from bruises, cuts, and stuff like that. Now, does this mean that after all this time now obviously it's only been maybe a few hours or even just a day i don't know how long it has been since the shark ironwood fight but it seems arthur's um aura hasn't reappeared yet to heal his eye so my question is then what is the time frame of when an when aura comes back into your body to heal you I have a theory. I think I would help. So, yeah, we of course know that Arthur does not have a semblance. <clears throat> and semblances are linked, of course, to both the person and the aura. And we know he doesn't have a semblance because he focused on his intelligence over everything. Meaning, I have an idea, maybe his aura is weaker than most people, so it takes longer for it to return. Maybe that's what's going on. Also, something that we do know is not only does... Uh, from what we do know when it comes to Aura specifically, it number one, Aura takes time to, depending on who has it. Like, for example, someone like, for example, Jean gets his Aura back faster than someone who doesn't have his specific set of skills. 
we know we saw that from volume seven when oscar flat out said your aura recharge is getting faster in the uh in the training montage so mm. it depends on the person for one from what i understand and i think the other thing is two from what we know aura recharge is harder if your aura was broken if you have aura that's still intact it should heal faster but it has to come back entirely before it starts to heal you again it's, okay that's fair. Yeah, yeah yeah like it, it was originally uh, described like an rpg boss it's like you take their shield down it has to go all the way back up for them to heal yeah, uh, I do want to point out, I did say Jacques versus Ironwood instead, instead yeah. of Watts versus Ironwood. Yeah. That was my bad. But um, it's but to be fair, I wish we could see Jacques versus Ironwood, because I would actually watch Ironwood shoot the shit out of Jacques. Yes, yes, please. Yeah. I guess then that makes me... I guess I... I get. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Vanta. I was going to say, can I say something towards that theory, or towards the theory for that? What if the Atlas military has something to keep prisoners' aura from coming back? Like, what if, what if they have something that screws with it? I know this is getting into the realm that's, you know, kind of AU-ish, but, you know, we don't really know much about the world. We don't know what fills it. We don't know what actual technology they have. It's quite possible, but then again, it's also stepping into AU territory, so, I don't know. Like, uh, Fates and like fates was saying you know and i think bionic too um <clears throat> it depends on the person so it with watts focusing on his intelligence more than say his spirit which is directly linked to his aura and semblance and dust usage it would not dust that uses. would also it means, put a toll on it it means nothing of dust uses or mm. it just lets it like activate well, it doesn't do uh, anything else no so when i say spirit i mean it the spirit, the soul, which enacts yeah. with your aura, which can activate dust, which can also activate your semblance. Your yeah, no. aura activates semblance and dust. So technically it does affect both. That's not what I meant. You, The way you were saying it sounds like it increases the power of it, but no. I mean, if we're looking doesn't... at Coco... Coco's an exception. Her ability literally does do that. Not everyone has the ability hype, yeah. but I think I feel like we yeah. went off track enough. So to be fair, no, to be yeah, fair, sorry. just yeah. To be fair on Vanta, I'll go ahead, mate. I want to throw my two cents before everything kind of, kind of gets derailed. We take into we take into consideration that yes, Watts did focus on intelligence. That means he did, and we already know he is a very bad fighter. He's he's competent, but he's very undermined in the combat because he focused on his mind. Maybe that's why. Maybe he doesn't know how to like. Maybe he's not that well adept at recharging his aura from a broken state. And to be fair, to be fair, Avanter as well. We all know Atlas is just the realm of bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, kind of why I said it. It's like you can make any tech in Ruby and just say, "Oh, Atlas built it." Yeah, mm -hmm. if it if it's not too ridiculous, <laughs> even no, if it's too anyway. ridiculous. No, no, I said even if anyway. it's not too ridiculous because yeah. a lot of but, it's ridiculous. But anyway, we went up a bit too much. Yeah, that's all right. It's always nice to talk about some theories, but um, mm. we will move on to the next chunk. So these next few chunks are going to be pretty big, apart from one. 
So this first one is uh, going to sort of involve uh, Yang's team, as that's what I'm calling it. She's basically kind of taking the realms of being the leader because, because let's face it, Jean's now just a whipping boy at this point. Just call, uh, it, we, just call it the Mantle Team and the Amity Team. Those yeah, the Mantle team. team and Mantle Team and Atlas Team. So Amity, with the well, yeah Amity, Amity, same thing. Um, so. Uh, we first see that there's a big news report just uh, going on about saying how the grim attacks are, you know, happening all around Mantle, Mantle's cold. Just basically bad things are happening in Mantle. But luckily, uh, Joanna is there, takes the microphone from the news reporter, and basically just tells all of Mantle, whoever has their TV radio on, stuff like that, just tells them that Ironwood has pretty much left Mantle behind. You need to make your way to the crater, like grab your food supplies, like grab as much as you can and move your way to the crater. Uh, so that's what they get uh, during this time, though. Uh, we do see Team Mantle, uh, the Mantle team um, from the trailer where Yang, uh, you know, used her, used her. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Now, her, gaunt- uh, her gauntlet. Uh, it was actually uh, she actually attacked to Atlas Guards, Atlasian Guards, which we now know from the trailer. Uh, and during this time, we kind of just go through the basis of what we saw in the previews and trailers where they use, where they find the bikes, using the bikes. Obviously, that's where the keys are from. That's what um, Pietro said in the first episode. That's what he was working on for, for all of Team Ruby and Juniper and all that. Uh, they reach the, the group of people that we saw in the preview where we see... The sabers running towards them, but Jean, but Jean using that uh, hard light um, sort of shield, where the sabers just sort of stop claw at it and then get killed by Ren and all that stuff. Uh, so that kind of still goes through all the bases until we get some new stuff uh, after that, where we see a woman um, actually talking about uh, the the slums as it's being called. Uh, I just call back to Final Fantasy VII if you've played that game, The Slums. Um, with The Slums, uh, saying how it's obviously where Faunus usually live because obviously of mining stuff and all that and all that jazz. So, woman is really not liking going there because she believes it's just as dangerous because Faunus are uh, racism. Uh, but uh, and she says she wants to go up into Atlas, but Yang just outright just tells straight to her face, Atlas has forgotten about you but the Faunus are willing to open up their homes to allow you in. Uh, just basically telling her off. Um, but then we see Yang asking Ren once again to use his semblance to mask everyone's emotions while they make their way to the crater. But it seems Ren doesn't is not exactly excited about the idea and seems to be getting annoyed about using his semblance all the time, obviously with the help of Jean included. Uh, so as they make their way, masking the people... Uh, we still hear the woman ranting about the, you know, not wanting to go to the greater, which kind of makes me wonder if Ren is supposed to be masking people's emotions. How is this woman still able to talk about, you know, the bad things about foreigners and going to the crater again? That could be something that we'll talk about when we each go into our little reviews. Uh, but then we see a nice li- but then we go back into seeing Oscar and Ospin having a little chat where Oscar is still really confused as to why uh, these people still don't see the bigger picture and why they can't just get along and, you know, 
think positively basically all that stuff like still questioning the whole humanity versus faunus thing with ospin even um even backing him just saying like it's a mystery like even i don't know that you know like it's hard to get people to cooperate because of what they've maybe grown up into uh where os and then later where ospin says he apologizes for leaving Oscar is more upset that he came back because Oscar is saying how he's now finally becoming the person that he's wanted to be, like not who he was, which was a farmhand, but who he wants to be, saving the world, finally becoming part of the team with Team Ruby and Ju and with Team Juniper and all that. Uh, however, Oscar uh, Ospin does tell Oscar that he is regaining the rest of Ospin's magic as well as the rest of his more deeper darker memories his more deeper memories which is showing that both of their souls are merging together and it's go and it's getting ever so close closer and closer before they finally become one person and even though oscar just tells him he he's never wanted this ospin actually agrees by saying he's never wanted it either until uh and then we see this nice we didn't see this little bit of um we see the flickering of uh ren's semblance like because he's trying to concentrate and all it could be his own emotions jean trying to give him like a bit of a pep talk just saying like hey don't worry you'll do it but ren just snaps at him just saying he needs to concentrate with jean not exactly thrilled about ren being you know this emotional so much in such little time with even osp and then ospin at the end just telling oscar that not only do those two need to um work together but so does everyone and he's most likely talking about all of remnant so bionic let's move on to you <laughs> about this quite big chunk of uh of a scene again happy hunters has been actually more likable there's going to be a bit of a running trend in this episode that Jonah being actually a good character and i'm i enjoyed a small bit we saw of her and no, honestly willie that's probably my favorite part of this episode this part i don't know why the more the more i hear of the happy hunters the more i'm actually starting to like them besides that uh it's interesting that the uh, at still at this point a news group is still trying to keep people up to date which is so I don't know. It feels like it's surprising. In like an apocalypse-like situation, would people still try to do that? That's what I always thought was interesting. But besides that, yeah, a lot of this, um, the a part of it was just the teaser trailer. Basically, it was the teaser trailer combined with, uh, well, the teaser at Comic Con, I believe, and then part of the trailer was this scene. And then we get to my, we get Ren being salty. <laughs> About having to use his ability, mm -hmm. uh, and the Osk the Oscar monologue, which I enjoy because I always like seeing these two characters. And there's not much besides this. I think it was a well done scene. I I, I, I heard characters. I look Oscar's getting more development. That was a good thing, and we actually see it. So there's not much. I don't really have much to say, and I think my sound is may drop in based on my Discord, but I apologize if that is true. Uh, it's all fine, hopefully for now. Uh, but Vanta, let's do move on to you about your your thoughts on this big <laughs> on this big giant chunk. So, 
I I do like this part um, for a few different reasons. Like Bionic said with the moment with Joanna telling off the news reporter basically and, you know, scaring the crap out of him um, when she stuck her weapon in the ground and growled at him. Um, that was a nice little bit to show that she wasn't messing around like, you know, what she thought these news reporters were doing. Um, <clears throat> the teamwork from such a short little time of Yang, Oscar, Ren, and John all working together and doing what they can, and some of their abilities blending very nicely. Um, and then there was, uh, you know, the whole transport scene. Um, you were asking about, like, you know, what, you know, why, why is it that Ren was being so emotional? I, you know, uh, Fates, a little bit of... Hold on, sorry, uh, sorry, Vanta, Fates, you're breathing into your mic. Sorry, it's, I, I don't, I'm, uh, I wish my mute button worked. It's fine, uh, carry on, Vanta. Um... Slip to the realm of theory territory. I almost think that even with the aura amp, it's a little bit hard, but I almost think that he's pulling a little bit of each of their the emotions that send off the signals onto him. And he's trying to like sort out everyone's emotions, but their thoughts and feelings on a matter doesn't change. You know, like you said, that woman is still spouting off you know, all sorts of trash about the faunus. I think it's the fact that he's masking their emotions to the point where the Grim can't track them. But in doing so, he's also taking on that emotion himself. Um, mm -hmm. Which could be bad, you know, considering the fact that he'd basically be a beacon for negative emotions. Um, especially if everyone's panicking. But, you know, that's my thoughts on that little subject. Um, I think it's nice that we have Ozpin back and, you know, we were hearing him talk more and more, you know, we caught that little glimpse at the end of volume seven and now he's here and, you know, they're still talking about the problem that we're going to become one at one point, but it's not something either of us want. And that just goes to show, show you, uh, um, and actually looking back at the beginning of volume seven. Ruby commented about how Ironwood's tired. Ozpin's got to be really tired of this as well. Because he's gone through so many lifetimes of just, you know, person after person that he's basically absorbed their consciousness. So, it, you know, just different, different things that are, keep getting pointed out and brought up. But that's about all I have on it. Okie dokie, uh, let's move on to time. So this is quite a bit of a chunk. What are your take? I ain't got much, uh, to be honest. You know, there's a, there's a very missed opportunity with uh, Oscar just uh, standing on the back of the hover bike and using long memory as uh, one of those gondola rods. <laughs> so he could, like, <laughs> go up the streets of Mantle like he's uh, going around Italy. <laughs> well, no more Nietzsche, I'm just going along with the people. It'd probably uh, make them, you know, less noticeable. Ren wouldn't even need to use a semblance. 
Oh yeah, and Ren really didn't want to use his semblance. Holy God. Uh, I remember uh, Jean, he, uh, he used this new shield wall. That was the worst shield placement ever. <laughs> like, like ever. The, the, the sabers could have walked world. around it. <laughs> dumb animals, dumb. Well, remember, I reckon, I reckon they're still trying to do the whole like, oh, some Grim is still stupid. Yeah, well, fair enough, but yeah. still, they should have predatory instincts, i.e., go around rock to kill hungry, but <laughs> to kill the hungry. <laughs> no, to kill because hungry. I guess because cut out. But yeah, no, that's that's about it. Oh yeah, Joanna was pretty funny when she was on the mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic on the on on the on the no. weather boy's chest. Fucking bitch slap the mic. <laughs> uh, well, since uh, we're just gonna move on to you now, Borvac. What about you? Uh, I still reckon that Joanna is a shock bonus. <laughs> Um, other than that, uh, <coughs> uh, yellow hair everywhere, <laughs> left, right, and center, all in Oscar's mouth. Feels so fucking sorry for the kid. He's so he's, into he's it, been picked on all this episode. Oh, we'll um, get to rest of that later. We have. The whole the whole situation with uh, once again is Jean Shield. Wow, love it. Love that he's getting new things. Fucking Ren hacky sacks the shit, and fucking Jean just sucks it up with gravity dust. Fucking expert moment. <laughs> um, I believe with Ren and his semblance, as my own personal belief. I reckon it is to do with how he takes on negative emotions that are around him due to his semblance masking emotions. Because he's only been agitated since we've arrived in Atlas. He hasn't been agitated. He like hasn't ever lost his composure until the Kuro Yuri arc where he faced against the Nukulave. But even then, that was more so an emotion of just rage, some unbridled childhood flashback PTSD rage. This is just constant agitation and anger that is just seeping out of him. The moment that someone mentions, hey Ren, can you... He starts rolling his eyes... He's already pissed. He doesn't want to deal with it. I reckon that he's taking on every single emotion at once, similar to how Fox can detect people through his semblance. I reckon that that's a similar situation that goes on with Ren. Mm. And the only way he balances that out is through meditation, but since everything is so fucked at the moment, he is struggling to get that peace of mind. He's trying to block out all the negativity, but it's just becoming more and more overwhelming. <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, just to reiterate, um, um, Fox's semblance is um, is telepathy. Well, basically, um, he yeah. is yeah telepathy. Um, the whole um, finding people is just because he's blind. He's having to hone his skills to um, like uh, find people via their aura. Find people by their aura, and he's also able to connect with multiple people's yeah. minds at once at at his will and leisure. Yeah. So, I I feel that we take that inspiration. It has it can hold some weight with Renz because he hasn't ever been this agitated, and the only reason we can think of is mental is such a shit place. It's such a depressing place. There is so much anger. There is so much hate. There is so much disparity. And it's all just seeping into him. Um, as for the escorting, I, wa- I want to bring up two more points, and then I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> That's alright. Um, I like the conversation between Oz and Oscar. It's more so of the fact that Oz is continuously saying that we all need to work together to get over this hurdle, yet everyone around us is splitting apart because of Salem. And it seems like Oscar is the only one who kind of can figure that out. Everyone's saying, yes, we're working together, we're going to save everyone. But in reality, when we're looking at the bigger picture, it's still another... It's another front. It's never... We're, we're divided still. Between Atlas and Mantle, it's divided. Between Atlas and the rest of Remnant, it's divided. There is no coming together with this. They need to figure out how to connect people, even when there's not a single thing to connect them. And my final point that I wanted to make, I want to go towards the people. I want to make note of their, of their stature and their walking patterns. Does it not remind anyone of the apathy? Or is it just me? I noticed that. They were, they were walking like they were lethargic. They were just like, uh, do I really have to do this? They're walking like they're emotionless, which it makes sense because of Ren's semblance masking emotions, but why would, it, why would a masking effect completely nullify? Yes, we still have the old lady complaining and whining the entire trip, but she's still in the same stature as everyone else around her. They're all walking around like mindless zombies, just following the pack. I guess I never caught that first time. I just think they didn't want to do it. Well, that's the thing. They they did eventually want to do it because that's the only choice they had. They have to go. You'd think they want to, you know, pick up the pace just a bit, but they're really, really lagging. They, like I said, they're like a pack of zombies. The apathy. They they're walking at the apathy's speed. Mm. If the apathy can sap willpower, then what's to say that Ren can't 
pretty much almost negate all emotions, and it's not a masking effect. He absorbs emotion. That's what I'm thinking his semblance truly is. Not a masking yeah. effect. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, that's it for me. Very nice, very nice. I guess I never caught the whole apathy thing at first, but now when I look at it, I guess it really does make sense. Uh, but moving on to Fates, who apparently has someone in his... Well, Fates, who likes to blow into his microphone, as well as having someone sick in the background. I know, I'm sorry about that. There's nothing I can do about that. That's okay. Um, but for me, this is actually the scene that I kind of have the least to talk about, besides the previous one. Um, what I what I really want to point out about this is I really liked how we actually got Oscar's true opinion of Ospin and how frustrated he was with him. We sort of got a hint of that at the end of seven when he was, when Ospin was like apologizing and Oscar was like, no, shut up. Just tell me what I have to do to save Atlas. He was like, he didn't care about Ospin. He was just like, just tell me what the, just tell me what the hell I need to know. And because he is truly frustrated with him, and I don't blame him. If I had a, if I had a person in my head that basically was the one who carried me, as in like, oh, the they're the only reason why I can do anything, I would definitely be very annoyed with them, especially at a point like this. Um, but I am kind of worried though that with Ozpin back, because I wonder what's going to happen happen due to the uh thing that happened at the end of the episode but i'm not but that's all i'm going to talk about on that front pink what do you think on this particular section yeah this is definitely um nothing that we can really talk about a lot because obviously the real big thing comes way later but like i said i'm still hinting at it because i know time's gonna have a lot to say i know we're all gonna have a lot to say <laughs> about a certain thing but we have to wait so keep those bonus in check but um yeah i love that idea that um both vanta and uh and borvac had about ren's semblance how while it is marks masking his um, um people's emotions it's also absorbing that emotion onto himself. So that's why he meditates to try and keep that positive mind. But because he's in such a dire situation, pretty much ever since uh, Mistral, he's not really had a lot of time to just sit down and have time to himself to really be like, okay, I can calm down, get my thoughts back into check. He's not going to be, and especially during these next for this whole volume where it's just two straight days of saving people having to mask their emotions using his semblance a lot like it is just going to show that he really needs this time alone or he needs this time to to actually just sit down maybe even have some sleep before moving on because he really needs something like that um the whole um i mean i know a lot of people might be happy about this because we are getting a lot more into the development of um you know fauna's racism and stuff like that i hate using that word but that's pretty much what it is or speciesism how you want to call it <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but... it's more species because from what we know fauna's like evolved from actual animals and not from yeah humans, so it's yeah. technically multi-species so I guess that makes sense. 
from what yeah, I remember, but my brain is dumb, so I don't know. <laughs> but it's basically just showing it is definitely now diving into how even people in Mantle are still very like hate has that hate towards fullness, maybe due from Atlas, maybe just because they've had bad experiences, but they're definitely not finished with the storyline of humanity still hates fullness because they believe Faunus are still below them, which is going to be nice for the community, because I know they've definitely wanted... Like, they've definitely wanted to... Or at least I know the fandom has wanted that for quite a while, for them to really pick upon... to really pick upon that again, and I think that's definitely going to make a lot of people happy that they're not finished with this storyline, and they really won't be for a very long time. Um, But other than that, it's... Yeah pretty sure um oscar and ospin having their interaction like fate said just oscar just saying yo you just took me out of my home where i was actually pretty okay with my life and then you dragged me into uh man into mistral where i nearly got killed by a psychopath whose daughter you got killed well who basically got herself killed then you told me that the lamp now attracts grim as well as negativity and I basically just found out what your past is. So Oscar has a very right to get pissed. And he's like, oh, yeah. And by the way, you got me shot by the general. He's <laughs> <laughs> never going to live that down. And now because of that, and what never happened at the up. end, yeah. he's even suffering more because of him. Exactly. But yeah, hey. I think... Again, this, is the, uh, this show is shit on Oscar as much as we goddamn can. That is Oscar's character. <laughs> it just gets shit on. How many ways can we shit on a child? <laughs> a lot, it seems. A lot. Apparently. Apparently. So, yeah. But let's move on to what's more likely going to be the biggest chunk that I'm going to go over, oh, which yeah, is yeah. Team Amity. So uh, we see this nice little sweeping shot where we see Penny looking over the people of Mantle going into the crater where we actually see the layout of the background where we see the difference between the slums and and uh mantle sorry not mr mantle um so you can see the difference there as it is obviously ruby weiss uh penny blake and nora with now may marigold with them uh, as they break into what is said what they uh, were told is a snowshoe making factory or a snowshoe delivery service uh nora thanks uh may that uh you know helping them but it does seem may does bring up the whole oh i'm sure your friends are in good hands with well well first of all may talks about how after blake and yang well when the group told robbing about amity arena so they're, so they're bringing that back up which is really nice to hear um that they haven't just forgotten about that saying that it's pretty much it's pretty much always been on her mind like she never shuts up about it basically and then when and then when May brings up the whole, I'm sure your friends will be fine with um, you know my team. You can definitely tell with the faces of both Blake and Nora. Like Blake, uh, you got two different sides. You got Blake who's just sad because obviously she's separated from her partner and someone who she's gone through a lot with Yang. And then you got Nora while she's sad. She then goes to being annoyed, and quite rightly so. Maybe I don't know. That's just a theory um but as they go into the uh factory uh we see weiss gives the explanation saying that it does seem uh that 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 the 
there are some Atlesian guards, but these are different kind of guards that belong to the Schneed Dust Company and not to the General. So they don't need to worry about having to fight them off. So nice little relaxation. It seems the Amity team are having a little bit of an easier time. Please wait for it. Because um, you know what I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, so uh she so why she says like how they're now transporting dust in these sort of tubes so these so these tubes are the ones that are leading up into atlas which go into different places like atlas academy and especially the military base which is where they need to go to so uh blake has a little joke saying you know is there anything you and your family don't own as weiss tells him to find a terminal which is going to the to the military base but then we cut to Penny as she goes to a terminal, uh, there, there, to a terminal, uh, which says Atlas Academy. As uh, Ruby joins her in that, Penny brings up that she doesn't like seeing friends fight. Okay, um, like she doesn't like seeing friends fight, and while Ruby thinks she's talking about the fight or the argument that Ruby and Yang had, Penny is talking about Winter and the general and the general aka ironwood saying how they used to be friends but then the aesops attack team ruby and then the general basically said over the phone as we saw over the scroll uh that we heard in the first episode which is like that everyone is going to die because of penny ruby tries to cheer up like no he's lying you know he's just saying that to scare you or to try and put blame on you but or to, you know, to make her feel bad. But Penny then just goes on to saying how she was the protector of Mantle, but is now something bigger. She's a protector of something bigger now that she's a maiden. But it's nothing, but it's something that she didn't want. This is something she never wished for. Ruby once again trying to be the ever optimist, so still trying to keep the smile on people's faces because it's Ruby. That's all she does. Uh, just trying to say to Penny, now that you've become the Winter Maiden, you've already protected Mantle. And while Penny is thankful, it doesn't seem she's as thankful as she would have been like back in Volume 7, where she had her happy-go-lucky face. Now she has these real emotions, human emotions. And when Ruby goes in for the second hug of the volume, we know we're going to have three, but we're just going to keep the count at three right now, or two, whatever. It seems Penny doesn't, you know, hug her back like she did in the first episode. It does seem Penny, with these emotions, is really conflicted. Maybe she doesn't believe, maybe she even has that doubt in Ruby that everything is not okay. Uh, we then find the, they find the terminal that is going to the uh, Atlesian, that's uh, going to the Atlesian uh, at least in military base as may uh points out that with their secret weapon aka penny making penny a bit sad that she's all she's being called as a secret weapon and may using her semblance of invisibility invisibility they are in good hands uh weiss explains her oh boy here we go i love weiss to death as you all know but this bit made me laugh so hard and i think every weiss fan can say this every person in ruby can say this as she explains how the terminal works uh, she says that they need to sit back into the tube to go up and then press a button. Nora jumps the gun, presses the button, and Weiss just zooms right into that tube. 
and is on her way to the military base with pretty much now the meme of Ruby. And at the end, and as everyone is just looking shocked, Nora just decides, oh, yay, I'm now excited to be shot up in a tube. Bionic, quite a lot happened here, but go ahead to give your thoughts. Firstly, I love the opening um, tracking shot because it just looks nice, honestly. And the amount of people they stuck into this. Oh, there's Lama, Lama scene, and I love it. Uh, again, May is is a fun character for we see more of her. She's talked more here than entirely volume seven, <laughs> and it's entertaining. And uh, just because here forward seeing her ability a bit more and seeing that she can just turn herself invisible and all the um, effects of it. Uh, I remember Bolvac mentioned this, that if you look closely, the shadow actually disappears, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Bolvac? Yep, that's... <clears throat> couldn't remember very well. Um, besides that, um, the small details always I enjoy, that you see you see the one who cut the chains was Blake, and as you see a weapon going put back, I like these small details. And then, and when they finally got into the building, it's uh, the... The robots do look slightly different, which I always liked it as always, the attention to and the and Blake Blake's little comment to Weiss is very funny. And I love the cheeky smile she has on her face. And Weiss's reaction is prime. The scene is, I would say, the comedy scene of uh of this episode. Which oh, I just did. It was and it was funnier than most scenes I've ever had. I don't have much to say on the Penny and Ruby scene, because again, I don't know. I felt nothing. I'm kind of evil. <laughs> I I feel nothing. I may I like Penny as a character a lot, but I'm i just I feel like it's already the second episode, and this scene has happened twice with them two again, and I'm just going like, it's it's the same to me. I didn't feel anything. Uh, let's see. And when we get to the final part, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> That scene killed me. Oh my god! I f- this this scene is the Oscar scene in the uh, first episode with the, him saying, "And that was the easy, and that was the easy plan." And I like this is that scene for me that I just it's so funny. But I feel the community adores this scene, and God, absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's um, so dumb. I love it. I will say to anybody who watches that scene back, watch it. Um. Watch it's it on two. Watch it on two times speed. It's even funnier. She be gone. She, I she, am speed. I am speed. <laughs> All right, but to oh, move God. on now. Uh, moving on. Uh, yeah, moving on to Vanta. Unless Bionic, you have anything else? Uh, this was a good scene. Not the best scene. We'll we'll, we'll get into that. But it was still very good. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Uh, anyway, Vanta, your thoughts. I don't really have much for kind of like the build up to the Nora scene, you know, on this one. But um, I will say that um, about the whole Ruby and Penny thing, it's more Penny is kind of lost in her thoughts right now, trying to figure out, you know, what what's the right choice? Did I make the right choice by taking the maiden power or so on and so forth? And Ruby is just trying to basically like I don't know how else to put it, but she's trying to be a mom to Penny is like, hey, this isn't your fault. You made your decision. You know, it's 
you know, we're here with you. Like, we're backing you up. Don't worry. You know, Ironwood, you know, he's not in the right mental state. You know, she's basically just trying to cheer Penny up so, you know, it doesn't potentially attract more Grimm. Um, and alert everyone to what they're trying to do. Um, however, you know, this scene is nice. You know, the white, uh, the comment that Blake has against Weiss, you know, it, it's a, it's a little jab and nod to, uh, volume one when, uh, Blake was pointing everything out about the schnees and, um, it's just this is something else to throw onto that pile um and just for the last scene nora will be nora that that scene is now as memeable as will break will break their legs um <laughs> it was just hilarious but that's about all i have for this chunk fair enough uh time Someone... on to you sir Weiss got sent to Brazil. Mic drop. <laughs> Brazil will be gone. To Brazil. To Brazil. But, um... Um... What was I going to talk about? I completely forgot. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... The, the texture change with May's semblance was very interesting. It was it was like really really flawless and that uh, and the audio mixing was very well very good as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's about it honestly. I got nothing else. All right. All right. Well, well I guess I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. I guess on the way okay. back then. Um, I like the I like the panning shot of the crater because, like like Pink said, it shows more of the stuff that people has been wanting. Because this is an area purely dedicated as the slums of Mantle. This is the slums of Mantle that are only housed by Faunus. This is the seclusion that people were saying should uh, should be a thing within the most racist capital in the entire realm of Remnant. I liked it. I yeah, really like did. we know. It's like we we've been pointed out like Mistral is very racist, but now it just goes to show that Atlas is that little bit more racist. Hmm. Um, as for the scenes of getting into the, uh, getting into the fucking, what was it, a, a shoe? It was a, a snow, a, a snowshoe delivery service. That's so stupid. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I like the design of the robots. They have the, uh, Schnee insignia on the back, and they have different platings that, uh, different from the Atlesian military robots. Which is so they are quite... I, I mentioned yeah. that as well. I like it. Um, the scene with Ruby and Penny mimics the scene with Oscar and Oz, in my opinion. 
because in both both of them didn't like both of them didn't want what has happened to them yet it's happening anyways and they have no control over it but they both obviously have like differencing almost like they, views of it yeah well penny just wanted like penny's thought process from where i can gather is i'm supposed to protect so much more than i used to before i used to only protect the city of mantle now i'm protecting one entire continent essentially rides on my shoulders hell the entirety of remnant rides on my shoulders now how am i to protect them all Whereas Oscar is destined to become the next incarnation of Ozma. He doesn't want it to happen, and it's going to happen inevitably. He wants to be himself, yet at the same time, he knows that he can't be himself. Because eventually, it will all fade. And I find it really powerful scenes to follow up. For the, for the majority of this first portion, it's just been hitting hard with the emotional story that is being foretold. Um, just... Ruby trying to comfort Penny when Penny didn't seem like she wanted the comfort she also wanted to understand like how to fit her new role she's she knows she's going to have to accept what she has become yet she is still scared and conflicted and wants some of that guidance and ruby kind of brushing it under the rug just didn't really seem to hit a good spot with penny which is why i believe she didn't reciprocate the feelings and was sounding a bit more distracted. Not distracted, dejected. Thank you. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is, yes, like uh, like it has been brought up, May's semblance. <laughs> May's semblance completely vanishes her and muffles her, uh, muffles her speech patterns. Because I know there was a lot of people in Volume 7 who debated on whether May and... Who was it? It was May and Fiona that were behind the truck? Uh, it, well, it was all, it was all of... Um, it was, was all it? of them, really. Okay. Well, you, ha- well, you was... had May... Well, it, you had May using her invisibility on the truck and the rest of the Happy Huntresses, and then obviously... No, 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 no. The, the one when we first met the Happy Huntresses out in the snow. I thought there was only two people there. Oh yeah, it was um yeah, it was a uh, May and Joanna. Yeah, but there was a big debate that went on around that time where it was like, oh, she can't hi- uh, she can't turn shadows invisible. The shadows were there, and then there was other people who said otherwise. And this just confirms that she absolutely can disguise people fully, shadows, voices, and all. Um. It's a very, very strong semblance. 
and from what we've seen so far, it has no real drawbacks other than sounding like you're underwater. <laughs> um, my final point that I want to make is uh, Weiss goes zoom. That is Weiss a very good zoom. Uh, a very... Very, it was a very good ending for the funny moment. Uh, it's payback for Volume Five, where Weiss scared the sh- living shit out of Nora with the Bulba Tusk. <laughs> I guess I never so, thought about it that way, but yeah, yeah, it's payback. It's just all you have to do is lay back, and then you hit the, and then when you hit the button, and just <laughs> zoom, <laughs> zoomy. Zoomy. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, on, yeah, on to uh, on to fates. Um, there are a few things that I really like about this scene, and a few very particular points that I wanted to mention. People have wanted someone like Ilya in this volume, specifically because it's like, oh, hey, that would definitely be useful if you're if you're supposed to, uh, you know, go up to like go through security stuff because she's invisible. Well, we don't have Ilya. We have someone who basically has the same trick, though. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good sign, because it's like, oh, hey, we definitely could use someone with invisibility. How convenient we have someone on our side. Um, and a few other things. This is a funny scene that I noticed people have brought up with the whole um, sending yourself in the shoot up to Atlas thing. And it's um, one of the old jokes from Volume 2. We'll mail ourselves there. People say that's exactly what's being paid off. Because they're literally shipping themselves up to Atlas. (laughs) We mail ourselves there. Um, But yeah, I do have a very big question for Ironwood specifically about um, if he really wanted to stop people from getting between Atlas and Mantle, why did you not sever the lines between the two? Specifically, the SDC ones. Yes, you need dust. Yet the one in charge of the company is behind bars under your jurisdiction, mate. So it's like, huh? Like, why care about the SDC giving you stuff? You have drones giving you snowshoes. That's all we know about. Well, I mean, Ironwood. Well, I mean, Ironwood isn't exactly thinking straight. It's why he shot someone in the face. Eh, true. Yeah, that's very true. Shot um, someone in the face. Also, Blake. Yay! You have character for the first time since the very first part of Volume Six. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> she oh, actually had. She she actually had a personality. Even if it was just for a few seconds, but it's like that's good. Could we see more of that? <laughs> Agree. Thankfully, with that. we will be seeing a lot more of that, especially with Gang out of the picture for the time being. At least huh? with Blake in the area. I think we also have to. I feel like we have to. I have to some say at the end of this thing. But oh god, is are we? Is it Pink's turn? We have that. Uh, 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 no, I have a few more things to say. But um, god, you have so <laughs> much things to say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not as much as uh, not as much as Borvac did this time. I'll say, have you um, have you seen this episode? <laughs> yeah, I've actually, I feel I've actually been talking the least. Um, but but yeah, I love that Blake actually is having a personality here. Um, but another thing that I love about this particular part is we actually see interactions between characters that we 
really wanted for a quite a long time. Like, the interaction between Blake and Weiss there. We haven't had anything like that since Volume 2. Or, or no, 3. And it's like, huh? Why? Yeah, like, that's the last time they've actually had any actual interaction without anyone else involved. I just, um, or I at, just least, fucking at least speaking-wise. of Volume 1. Well, like, Volume 3, when they were, like, fighting the Atlas drones and things like that, when they were under attack and they decided to split up, that's the last time I can think of that they actually were talking just to them. Um, and... True. I'm going to count that as a conversation, though. Yeah. It's also of a quick decision. I'm going to go left, you go right. Yeah, yeah, and I can definitely see ends. that. With the they haven't had a real conversation. Yeah. They haven't had a real conversation since volume one. Uh, I can I can see that. Um, with the Penny conversation, the thing that worries me the most about that is <sighs> I really do not want to see another instance of, oh boy, look, you have a depressed character. Like like the the thing with Penny is like. I, I just hope they don't I, I don't like saying this, but please please don't fuck it up again. Because it's like this I really don't want this to be another Blake and Son with how Ruby's the one who constantly is trying to cheer Penny up and it's like please please specifically don't do that again. I'm fine if you do it another way, just not that again. Um Nora be Nora Ooh, shiny button. Click. Send Weiss to Brazil. Um, <laughs> um, Brazil. Yeah, I, I, I died. Brazil. Brazil. <laughs> also, I am Speed Zoom. Yeah, um, but we don't know these names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but the thing that I find really funny is I want. I really hope next episode, please show everyone going up and everyone's reaction because that would be so funny. And I really hope Weiss doesn't need a chiropractor. Um, um, there is something I do want to mention that even if we don't see that, I want to at least hear like a small like just Nora and Weiss a small talk between them about you know <laughs> Weiss being actually annoyed about that. I would like to hear a small bit about that. Like yes, we, like, we don't press start like in that. the middle of it. We start in the middle of their like little argument. I would say like more just like God. <laughs> That would be fun. That would just something I would like to see next episode. Can I also ask for the community? Can I ask for the community? I don't know if it's been done yet, but we need that fucking picture of Blake and Yang. Someone's done it. Someone's already done it. (laughs) Um, and yeah, and the last thing that I want to mention about that scene is it's like it's I'm really worried about a very particular thing, which is. In the trailer, I'm wondering, since like this is sort of just a, a spitball theory. When we see the military group, when they're seemingly facing off against someone in the trailer, since from what we know, every single scene from the trailer is in the first three or so episodes, um, is May invisible, like to hide herself, or is she just not in that scene? We will not know until it happens. That's yeah. what we have to say. But yeah, that, that's sort of why I'm spitballing it. And that's the last thing I want to mention. Pink, to you? And you say you don't you didn't have as much to say. <laughs> um, so I have just been corrected. Um, 
that the uh, snowshoe is just the name. It's just a Snee Dust Company refinery. It doesn't actually make like snowshoes. It's just a delivery service just called Snowshoe. I wonder what the reference behind that is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really love this little bit. It's always nice to have some comedy. I mean, like when comedy is done right, it is really funny. This was very well done. It's nice to see people actually, you know, especially I know there's quite a few people in this call right now or in this podcast um, that is not exactly the biggest fans of Blake. I have always liked Blake, but this is definitely like helping her become a more fleshed out character than than she once was before, because she had a really big downfall back in volume four, like four and five. So, um and she's really starting to make that climb in volume back in volume six i'm glad she's making a few more strides and we're seeing a lot more interactions between characters we haven't seen a lot of interactions with like nora and weiss or you know weiss and blake ruby maybe ruby and nora maybe ruby and blake again it's going to be nice seeing this group of people just making their way and interacting with each other um in terms of um in terms of um, the whole, where is May going to be? Because obviously you need someone to stay behind to press the button. Uh, so there is that possibility maybe May stays behind and it's still just those four. It could be that May's invisible. We never know. We'll just have to wait until the next episode, which could possibly be the next one. Um, really like the bit with, like I said, Blake just teasing Weiss. It's just showing like they're still you know teammates, friends, stuff like that. Seeing Blake being sad about, you know, being separate from Yang after going through so much with this one person just shows that that closeness between those two and really is showing off like, Haha, we've now separated them. We're going to tease Bumblebee even more. Get mad. And then obviously seeing more of Nora. I love Nora. Still one of my favorite characters in the show. Just seeing that annoyance like her being annoyed at the fact that she's still being reminded of Ren is like maybe being closed minded and how she wants to save all of Remnant but she still like her ideals is really clashing with uh Ren's ideals. You know, despite being someone who she's just, you know, admitted her feelings, kissing him, but then all of a sudden he's like turned his back on her in a way, just like you know, almost becoming militaristic in a way. Whereas she's trying to be a bit more sympathetic. So there's that big clash, which I really, really like. Though, please, Nora, be alive. I, no, I'm i really scared for Nora. She's getting a lot of screen time and I don't like it. I mean, I like it, but I don't. It's a weird, complicated thing. The whole thing with Ruby and Penny. This is the second time we've had this in two episodes. Please, please, please do not make this an episodic thing where Penny is sad and Ruby's like, no, be happy. <laughs> I'm dying on the inside. I don't want, I don't want Ruby. I like Ruby. I really want to like Ruby even more than I like her now. But I mean, I'm glad she's got to be that rock. Like she's the person that Penny trusts the most. Like, when Penny is in dire trust or like if she needs someone to talk to, she has she used to have Ruby, Winter and General Ironwood. Maybe not Ironwood as much, but she always had Winter and Ruby. Now that Winter's gone, all she has is Ruby. And going off to the point that Borvac said, 
she wanted she didn't want comfort of like oh don't worry everything's gonna be okay she wanted clarification of who am i what am i what's not what's my new purpose like i just wanted to save this little part of atlas but now i've got to save both mantle and atlas and possibly all of rem all of remnant because i hold the key to salem's victory if she gets her hand on me so penny's going through his emotions and it's just it almost seems like ruby is trying to ignore that in a way like she i don't think she's purposely trying to ignore it but ruby is definitely ignoring the whole oh penny's in trouble i better make sure she's happy by just you know giving her a hug but then when penny didn't rip it's like uh i can't say that one just didn't return the hug reciprocate when she didn't return the hug it just felt like she's going through these emotions and like she's sort of drawing back in a way where she's like i don't need a hug i need i need someone to tell me what my new purpose is so it's going to be really different to see it's why my theory comes to check i reckon one in one of these episodes ruby's going to go for a hug again but penny's going to push her away and like maybe use her maiden powers or show off her maiden eye power thing uh showing off the maiden eyes and just um like really not liking the fact that ruby hasn't really helped her as much as she wanted to but then finally we get to the meme of weiss just going zoom it's just weiss being perfect as always just always being like as much as i hate her in the butt of the jokes when it is when it does happen, she's very, very, very funny. Like, Weiss seems to have very good comedic timing, as well as Nora. Nora's always been funny since Volume 1. She's always been the backbone of any any type of comedy. And the fact that we just get this little short moment of them, like, acting back in the days of Volumes 1 to 3, when they were back in Beacon, just almost you know acting like like they're not acting like hunters and huntresses they're still acting like kids and it's nice to see that they can still take that you know before they go while even though they're on this serious mission they can still act you know their age they can still have that little bit of fun before before they lose that you know before they lose that youth forever in you know some point in the future but it's going to be nice to see where, you know, when they do land, what's going to happen when they land, and how limber is Weiss really? <laughs> but well, uh, she is a ballerina. That is true. So, we now move on to the next two parts. So I've separated these two into smaller parts. So the first one is going to be quite short, where it's just basically... Uh, we go into the slums where we see Joanna entering the tent, which has uh, Fiona in, uh, where Fiona's just looking over the um, is just looking over the map of Mantle, basically just uh, drawing out little dots. Uh, just wondering who is crackling. Apologies, Bionic. It's apologies. I'm hungry and I have chocolate. Give me, That's I'm fine, talking. but please not into the mic. It was away from the mic. I just poured it out, so that was it. I'll just have the chocolate out now. There's no sound That's anymore. fine. That's fine. Just stop now. But yeah, uh, so she has this little map of mantle. She has these little dots representing what seems to be like yellow, blue, red, where the grim are, and stuff like that. Uh, 
Um, she, so it seems Fiona is being the forefront of this sort of operation while she tells Joanna that maybe she should be doing it because of her little stunt that she done on TV. Uh, when uh, the Mantle team finally rejoin with them, uh, they tell them, Sector 7 is all clear now. Uh, you're all good to go. Uh, and then Fiona sort of bring, does bring up does bring up that fact of, I'm surprised you were able to do it, considering you know your friends weren't there with you, causing Ren to just walk away from the conversation and Yang just having to be basically the leader, just saying, yeah, well, we did it by ourselves. We don't need them. So it does seem both Yang and Ren especially sort of have this maybe anger or this pent-up aggression against Ruby, the team that Ruby is leading into Amity or towards Amity. Um, so they are bringing up also, uh, Joanna does bring up the fact that they are now stealing from the Schnee Dust Company to get more dust because obviously dust is what runs their energy. Uh, and bringing up the fact that it doesn't seem like anybody's actually getting arrested during what she calls the apocalypse. Uh, we then see Mr. Mole slash Badger slash Bearman return as he points out that there's going to be a fight, and he is revealed to be Fiona's uncle. Because really Fauna. Nice. Because Fauna's traits are weird. <laughs> yeah, because Fauna's traits. We don't understand. Man. That's um, a sheep. Yes. <laughs> that is sheep. Uh, but uh, Joanna goes to break up the fight as uh, Fiona gets a call from uh, a guy called Crimson who seems to be on their side helping out. We don't really know who he is. He might get um, like a face later down the line. Like maybe we'll see a face to the voice. So who knows if we'll see him ever? Like ever? Who knows? Uh, hopefully that's something that we'll get to see down later down the line. If not, then at least we know that the Happy Hunters is it's not just them. There are other people working with them, which is really nice. Uh, as he says that to the is it the west I believe no to the east sorry uh, the east of um, the east of Mantle is getting attacked by some Grim as uh, as Yang then pretty much volunteers her group to go and chase after the Grim so uh, but that is sort of one chunk I am going to ask people for their opinion just on this little bit because we're getting more of the world of the slums looking like looking at what the slums are looking like, how the faunas are helping the whole dust company, you know, seeing Atlas above uh, this giant crater and people moving in from mantle. And then obviously the little part of the groups being so dysfunctional uh, bionic, just this little part. It shouldn't take too long, but just what was your, what was your feelings? Happy hunters is still being good. <laughs> It's gonna be a running joke with me now because this is just nice to see. I know I enjoy this part a lot more because we saw like what's going on. I like that we, I like that we know how it's being heated because we got told in the first day that it's warm, and now we, it could be we we were guessing, and now if this is the confirmant, it's using a big generator from what we can tell. That's cool. Uh, Fiona being the leader and being very tired about it, and. Is honestly, I could, I could feel it. I would also be tired. My mental care capabilities are not that high. I liked also notice a small thing when Joanna and Fiona went out, went out of the the, uh, the tent together. We saw the uh, the Amuga species woman at the start. She directly looked over with like a scowl on her face at Fiona right when she went. Out. Small detail that I like. I noticed that. 
Besides that, we see Banjo Man from the first uh, chapter of Volume 7 return. That's just fun. And um, there's not much besides that, I think. This, the scene, I think, is just good, more uh, good character, uh, more character for the uh, Happy Huntresses. And it, that, that's Ren walking off after being told, told about friends and team again instantly shows he is, yeah, no. Maybe that's a theory that he's going off just to meditate to try to get feel better, but I doubt it's going to work based on the fact they instantly left after that. Besides that, Crimson, just a bit of fear on Crimson. He could be one of the people we see in the uh, the pictures in the, or like on the first chapter in that bar. He could be one of those, just a theory. But that's all I got for this scene. It was a good scene. Fair enough. Uh, everyone, hu everyone, hurry up so we can get to the last one. Because please. Yeah, we know, we know why. Uh, Vanta, oh what about God. you? Okay, this scene. I personally really do like this scene, and it's not for you know some of the. It's not like for the conversation bits. It's we have a little bit of character development here, tossed in with something that I feel has been lacking during the entirety of ruby um and that's world building it's it's the scenes that show instead of tell we see that you know we see the difference between the slums and the rest of mantle compared to atlas not like how we saw mistral where it was that 2d slide and crow just narrating saying oh but avoid the lower levels because anyone will sell you whatever even if it's illegal or not we didn't actually get to see the slums of Mistral, but we're getting to see the slums of uh, um, Atlas and Mantle. And we see how bad it is on top of, you know, the still anger towards the Faunus and the racism. Um, there's also, um, we see a small detail with uh, Joanna and Fiona when Joanna walks in, picks up a fire dust crystal chunk off of the table and easily breaks a piece off and throws it onto the fire to start heating the room back up a little bit more it goes to show a how easy like how fragile dust can be and another application that we haven't yet seen actually you know we've always seen it either in weapons or in ammunition and it's used for offense. We've never seen a real support like this. Um, so it's just, it's minor details like that on top of the world building. And a little bit of showing, like, again, the mental standpoint of characters with Ren and, you know, the happy huntresses and, you know, how they're all handling the situation at hand. You know, that is what makes the scene for me. It's not so much, you know, the little conversation bits. It's just, you know, their actions and what's shown speaks louder. But that's about all I have for it. Uh, time? Um, so far, it's actually been excellent world building just by looking around on the screen. Like, it's genuinely impressive what what the animators are doing with background and character details and all the above. I don't really have much to say other than, you know, 
congratulations, you've actually made me more interested in the background than what's going on in the foreground. But, you know, that's all I gotta say. Next. Uh, Bovet? Alrighty. <clears throat> so, uh, if I can, we see Sector 7 come through. That's all well and good. We get to see a little bit of how Fiona's semblance works. Uh, more than just in the way of suck up a truck and keep it forever. Uh, we get to see the map. Uh, we get to see the map of uh, Mantle. Uh, we hear Fiona being a pretty pretty good leader. Uh, just want to say that uh, Gus Sarola is in Ruby. Yep. He yep. played the... Um, he is he Badger Boy. The, yeah, he is uh, Fiona's uncle. Yep. The old Badger. <laughs> um... <laughs> Other than that, the whole scene where fucking Ren's fed up with dealing with people and pretty much could give less of a shit about anything that's going on at the moment as he storms off and Yang's more apprehensive. Um, yeah, it, it's a very short and effective scene. Especially with uh, how Vanta had said with the dust crystals being used in a more supportive role instead of a more offensive role. But uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else to kind of go off that. Mm. Uh, Fates? Okay. Um, I don't really have much to say about this one either. I haven't really talked all too much <laughs> in comparison to others today um but something i something i should have mentioned last time but i can say now because of fiona i am very impressed with how they're showing new character semblances and how they're making them look good the mm -hmm. only semblances that we have for non-main characters that in my opinion look pretty good and like i'm even like i'm not counting the villains is like specifically from what we saw of Tyrion semblance that looks really good um, we haven't really seen Cinder semblance other than just Maiden powers since, like, Volume 2. Um, um, we see Neo semblance. Neo semblance is great. And now we have May and Fiona. Those are the only four non-main characters that I think their semblances look better than... For example, most of the stuff that the Grimm have been able to do in the entire series, because it looks natural, specifically Fiona's. Fiona's and how you you see the map form as it's coming out, it really, really impressed me that they were able to make it look that good. I think it actually had to be done specific. Like, they had to not rush it. They actually had to work on it. And I'm pretty impressed by that. Um, other than that... Um, other than that, I'm just, uh, like, this is sort of a repeat of last time, but Ren, if you don't get your emotions together, your semblance is going to be useless, mate. And uh, that's about it for me, Hank. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's just nice seeing, I don't want to say it's nice seeing, but just seeing this sort of 
distancing from Ren and even a little bit from Yang as well. Like seeing, because obviously we saw Yang in the first episode really question, being the first to question Ruby's leadership because of obviously the whole lying to Ironwood and then thinking that they can win an unwinnable battle against someone who can't really be killed. Um, really like seeing this new like uh something that was missed in mistral obviously that i know a lot of people always pick out is how much was missed in mistral with the whole like world building and stuff so i'm glad we're getting a lot more of that in atlas and mantle seeing more of the slums like seeing more faunas and where they have to sleep and work and stuff like that so and then it's just nice seeing just the transition of people walking down into uh into into the mant into mantle area where it is you know pretty cr it's probably going to get pretty cramped there but at least they'll all be warm uh other than that seeing seeing that fiona is the one that has to take over the helm just showing how despite you know what we thought of her like maybe we thought like oh she's going to be the shy one and whatnot um she's actually taken more of like a prominent role taking over for for robin until robin gets back which is nice to see more development for every um happy hunters character they've really been shown off in a really good light this this volume and it's only been two episodes uh but before we move on vantar i know you wanted to say something about the dust crystal about in the scene yeah um i do actually have to give credit where credit's due Velvet was actually the first one to point it out in our little group chat. So credit to Velvet for pointing that out for the rest of us to speak on it. Mm, definitely agreed. But now this is the moment that everyone has been waiting for. This will be the date. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but this is what we've all been waiting to. This is what we've all been waiting to talk about. So the so Yang and her team, so the Mantle team, are in Mantle in the in the in the in the east, and are being chased down by a Terex. Is it Terex? How do you pronounce it? Terex. Terex. Okay, just want to make sure I didn't pronounce it wrong. Uh, so there's this little chase scene. You see some action where you even see um, Oscar basically chucking this sort of grenade kind of thing and and, and explode it having it explode underneath these herrings shooting it up into a little sort of like a bridge kind of thing and then its wing gets trapped under some rubble from the bridge as jean as you do you know just chops its head off because he would uh, after calling in that the east side is now pretty much free or like at least the main problem is gone fiona tells him that the west side is now also having a big problem of grim but as they are about to move they see three uh sabers running up to them but they stop and they run away they kind of wonder what happened because they've never seen this before and then jumping in out of nowhere attacking oscar smashing his aura and knocking him out is the new Grim that we have been waiting to see pretty much since the trailers that we saw in episode one as well. It has been named the Hound, or as we've been calling it, the Bloodhound, which was called by uh, Mr. Time here, which he will obviously get to yell about once uh, he is once it's on him. But as we can see, but uh as we see it it has definitely taken this sort of form of like a almost like a saber almost like a an ursa kind of thing 
while it's attacking Oscar, just showing no remorse until Oscar is completely knocked out. Uh, as we then see after, it then changes its form. It transforms in form to look more almost like a Beowulf in a way. And as it does, uh, Yang and Ren and John trying to attack it. Well, Yang tries to attack it first. Uh, it uses basically while it's attack while it's being attacked, it's smart enough to apparently know how to use Oscar as a shield. As it grabs Yang's face, throws her against the wall, uh, stretches out its arm when Ren tries to come at it uh, via his sort of grappling hook with his uh, with the sharp part of his uh, weapon, and he gets knocked away. And as Jean is about to try and go attack it. Uh, Yang tells him to not to because it's using Oscar as a shield. And they bring up the fact that Grimm aren't that smart. But that's not even the kicker. Because when Ren is just screaming at this Grimm, just telling him, telling this Grimm to give Oscar back, the Grimm replies no. The Grimm talked as it just walks away as Jean, Ren and Yang are just stunned at the fact that this that Grimm can talk. As it changes its form one more time, with sprouting wings that we see in the trailer, which obviously belong to that we see Salem uh, have in the trailer when uh, she's looming over Oscar. As trailer it picks up, opening. as it yeah, in the trailer opening, sorry, intro. opening, sorry, in the intro, which we will talk about later down the line. But you'll see, but you'll get the reference if you've seen the episode or anyway. Um, but. Uh, it takes Oscar and flies away as Fiona want as um, Fiona tries to get an update from Yang and her team. As Yang tells her that they're not going to make it to the West, and when Fiona asks her why not, Yang tells her that she wouldn't believe her even if she told her. And that is the end of that. That that is where it cuts off with the cliffhanger. Bionic, by all means. Before. I speak about the big thing. I like to speak smoothly about the tracks because besides the fact I like this program and I like seeing more of it, some small details added. It, when it was about to swoop down, we could see its its spiky little frills at the back uh, move um, move into a bit of more like, I don't really know. Uh, Fate, Fate believes it's more of a kind of aggression duel, even though he's so high up. I think, I think it's just instinct to do it. I just think it's nice to see. Also, Jane, um, John kills a dragon like Grimm. Just like to say that <laughs> it seems really funny, slay but dragon. he do slay Trip a dragon. But getting back to also just like that grenade is World War One based, which is nice to see more of it, more like real weapon bases coming in. But now again to the Hound. I um first he's saying this Grim is one of the coolest Grim that has ever been shown in the show. It is, it's kind of just a, it's very strange grim because besides like, it's very liquidy, instead of being more solid, it's like a bunch of other grim parts added to it, which I always say it's like chimera-ish as that. We saw it like stalking the characters in a few scenes, and even in this scene before it actually showed up, it has zero eyes, which I think is very interesting. And uh, I just say the big part, it talked a single word, but oh, I may have also hinted this earlier. This Grim is voiced by the same voice actor that is the new Crow, because sadly, you know, every, you've heard about what happened. I will not go into it, but they are the same voice actor, which is interesting. And God, I just think I get there's a lot of 
interesting things you can find with can find with this Grim. Fates has an idea what it could be based on. Mostly, I think it looks Windigo based in its uh, second form. That's just me. It's I think it's one of the best Grims. I still may have a bias to the Nuck because I think that thing is amazing. But I do love this. I would like. I'm definitely looking forward to see more of it. I don't have much else to say. This was a really good scene. Vanta, go. All right. Um. So, in the beginning fight, I do like how against the uh, T-Rex, I do like how they do use the environment to help kill this thing. They realize that since they can't be airborne, they have to use the environment. And it could have been like, oh, I'm going to drop down and, you know, try and cut its wings or something. No, they quite literally blow it up into the bridge, which destroys the bridge. It is, you know, using the environment to their advantage. And I like that. Um, As for the Grim. No, 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 and no. Fuck that thing. I, if I was in Ruby, I would have probably, you know, just ran or screamed something. It quite literally just hearing it just go, no, I would have been gone. Because that at that point is just like, okay, I'm confused. I'm not dealing with this. Bye. Like, sorry, Oscar, but nope, I would have ran because that would have scared the absolute crap out of me. It's like, how were they this intelligent? But yeah, everything that's been said about this new Grim that's been called the Hound. Um, yeah, no, it's it's terrifying. And everything about it's true. <laughs> okay. Everyone brace yourself. Mr. Time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do I have a lot of things to talk about. So, first off, I was right. May not have been called Bloodhound, still the Hound. I'm calling it the Bloodhound. Die. Anyway. Perish. Then perish. Perish. (laughs) But it was really interesting to see this thing running around in the background. And uh, mainly uh, during the whole, ah, we're we're using our hover bikes going through uh, the 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 streets of Mantle. Just seeing that during the little Terex fight, it was it was really unique to see its more ambush predator form that I like to call it, with it running like an actual bloodhound slash wolf. And then just watching it crump Oscar brutally, might I add, was quite the experience to say the least. I did not expect such a a visceral welcoming. Welcoming. I think I do. I think I do remember. Um, outside of podcasts, you did tell us that you were really worried about when they first showed the Grim in this episode, like when he first came into the scene. Yeah, I was. I was worried for two reasons. One, it was going to be anticlimactic. Two, dear God, now that I've seen it, 
what else can it do? Because the way that it's like the way that its flesh sits, it looks like ballistics jelly, kind of like a more loose form of it. So it's borderline bulletproof. It has just instantaneously evolved into this, you know, chicken leg, weird, crip walking Beowulf. And then it suddenly sprouts wings. That That's not okay. That's not okay at all. No, Hell. it's not. <laughs> but there's so many interesting details about that thing. A, it doesn't have eyes. B, it looks like it mostly smells. And C, how many goddamn teeth do you need to have on your torso? Like, yeah, Oh yeah, I forgot it has a mouth on its head as well, from what we could tell. <laughs> yeah. It's a spooky boy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, with it speaking, doing the infamous line of no, is, uh, it was, it, it, it's, it's shocking to say the least, because not only is it evolving rapidly, it most likely has the realization that it is evolving rapidly. Yeah, that's, that's a little, uh, it's, it's also a little worrying. <laughs> It was able to speak and respond to human language. So for all we know, it's going to start mimicking language to uh, make ambushes more common. And last but not least, it has bogarted Oscar. And it has began to fly away. So, you know, very good place to end it. Uh, th- that 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 is... God... This was worrying because there there could possibly be more volumes. How are they going to top this? That's another. That's another. That's another reason I'm scared. Blind one turtle. Turtle. (laughs) But anyway, that's all I gotta say. I'm guessing you are very satisfied with the first sort of actual proper look of the hound. You better goddamn believe I am. I I have been hyped for that thing since like I don't know. Trailers first came out. So Borvac, care to give uh, give us your thoughts? Um, yeah, I I, I want to give my own little kind of thought on it. Yeah, I I absolutely. love the way it was. I love how it was introduced. It was very intimidating, to say the least. Uh. I find I find the scene with Oscar absolutely hilarious. <laughs> the kid's been bullied this entire episode, but this final part is what got me fucking laughing my ass off. Instead <laughs> of moving away from the monster, he decides that it's going to be smart to kick the monster in the fucking forelimb. It, okay, like it's going a, to do anything. It's he doesn't like pull a, out the cane. He okay, doesn't pull like, out the cane. He doesn't try to move away from it. He kicks it in the forearm and expects it to keel over. It's a he's a fifteen year old fighting some something that is aggressive though. What do you expect him to do? And it ambushed him. He was surprised. I know he was surprised. I know he was surprised. I know he was probably acting irrational. But the thing is, when you're fucking go when a crook comes at you, 
Your first instinct is to not try and fucking fight it with your bare hands. He's not Australian. He's not Australian. That's Australian logic. You're trying oh, to put Australian. All right, we get a bit heated. <laughs> I'm so don't put fight it something way. with your bare hands if you're not equipped for it. Dude, that's that is the dumbest <laughs> idea. You Australians. Uh... <laughs> um. Other than that, my my thoughts on it because I I have heard a few theories here and there where people are drawing connotations to either I think it's called the Baxley Hound, which is apparently an English legend of a shadow dog in England that apparently haunts cemeteries and chases people away from the dead. Um, the other one that people make a lot of conno- uh, connotations to is Cerberus, the Hound yeah. of Hades. Mm. Until um, it grows free heads, I, I'm going to call bullshit. I, <laughs> I, I like the idea that this is the first kind of groom that we see that has more of a liquidate like more of a liquid form in comparison to the solid forms of most grim and more of the ghastly type this of, is why like kind of air of the is, geist grims this is why i think the chimera theory it's it just it's a hodgepodge so it's not stable that's what my idea came from well i mean i get a lot of bendy in the uh, Bendy in the Ink Machine. Bendy in the Ink Machine, yeah. I have the same sort of vibes. I have the same vibes. Especially what it could mean if they want to go down the Bendy in the Ink Machine route. Because it's so inky, it could be literally fables are usually written. They could take a literal stance on that and say this creature is a bunch of fables that are mixed together written and jumbled together in an okay. inky mass. So that would work with the chimera angle as well. It could work with the chimera it could, angle, yeah. but I also had a thought which might set off the community. <laughs> but what what doesn't? I'm going to say it's not a Wendigo, but it's the it's a very close relative to the Wendigo. There is a skinwalker. Oh god. Oh, sorry. Hold on, hold on. Bionic interrupted a what, sorry? The Skinwalker. Jesus. Oh, uh-oh. That is ter- Oh, that's... The Skinwalker is Native American, to my knowledge. It is a Native American mythos creature that is essentially witches and... Essentially wizards and... Not wizards, but... People who practice in witchcraft essentially and they have the ability to change themselves from their human forms into that of beasts mm, by wearing the skin of said creature well right now with this um uh, with this hound anything goes right now well, yeah the the thing that made me the thing that stood out to me from it is well the fact that the fucking thing speaks <laughs> the <laughs> Uh, skinwalkers are still technically human. Mm. And they what? can make humanoid sounds even within their animalistic forms. Just the from ch- the from legends what? that I have heard. 
from what I know about skinwalkers, it's the opposite that it's beasts that wear the human, the the skins of human. But I may be wrong. That's what no. I've heard. Uh, the ori- the original one that I know of is that it's humans that wear the skins of beasts. Mm. That is the connotation that I can gather from it. Um, that- uh, just so that we can... Sorry, uh, just finish up this point, but just to move on, anything else? Like, after you make this point? No, there's nothing else after the point. It, it, it's just my big... It's It's the biggest thing that I've been i wanted to kind of glance over a few of the theories and this yeah, is yeah, just yeah. my final theory fair enough but, uh yeah yeah uh on to fates okay um as usual i don't want to repeat things that have already been said but um i i at least have a feeling with the um with the form that the hound takes i think one of its inspirations was gargoyles and the main reason why is, number one, its current form as of the end of the episode. With wings, with weird chicken-like legs, and its overprotective stature, and the fact that when we had seen it throughout the episode, before it ambushed Oscar, we see it in a very weird state, where usually it's in one spot and is just staring in the direction of its targets. We see it when right after um right after the group gets the bikes and they're zooming through mantle it's staring at them from the top of a bridge when oscar is having a debate with ozpin in his head of when they're guiding the people to safety the hound is behind them staring at him from the distance on top of a building and then the only time we see it move before it attacks them is right before the terex goes under the bridge where we see it run across then it's gone the next time we see the bridge. And the reason is, it, it would also explain why the Sabres were afraid of it before, um, before it ambushed them. Gargoyles are supposed to be both protectors and demons in disguise, where the idea is supposed to be they're supposed to have a specific goal in mind, whether it's protecting something or attack or going after something. And they... Are the reason why they're made of stone and not like something like iron is because it's supposed to be an inspiration because they are rock hard in their resolve to finish what they started. And when it comes to this as well, especially with how it has um, no eyes, yet it can still apparently see them. That's a big question on that line, because it's the only Grim that we've seen that is able, like, it, it knew exactly where all of them were, despite the fact that it apparently is its best senses its nose. Yet it can hear them and see them before they really make a sound. Like, like Yang definitely going gung-ho, but the fact that it knew exactly where she was and just pointed Oscar in front of her. It's, it seems to imply that it has sight to some degree or something on the level of, like, Fox, which is just as horrifying. Because if that thing has the ability to sense where someone is, then there's no way you can take that thing by surprise. Hell no. Um, and then the other thing that I want to mention is not only is its wings Salem's in the intro, but also... They are very similar to Tarek's wings. 
And there's a really interesting question for that. And that is, if this thing truly is a combination of different types of Grimm, then my question is, is its head supposed to, like, specifically its, its teeth, is that supposed to be something like part Wyvern? Because the, the only other Grimm that we've ever seen that has teeth that gnarly is the Wyvern. Um, but, but yeah, other than that, um, that's basically it for me. Hank? Well, so when I said uh, shit was fucked, I meant it. Man, that, uh, first of all, Grimm looks absolutely awesome. Like, really well done with the design. Love the whole transformation thing. Just makes me wonder, like, does it have any more, like, transformations up its sleeve? Like, can it, can it, like, grow the fangs of a saber or, you know, like, tusks of, um, of a Goliath? Like, we, like, there is so many more possibilities with this hound that I don't think this will be the last that we see of it. Because obviously it's doing its job of just grabbing Oscar, but will we see, like, maybe a big scale fight with it at some point, which he possibly could, which would be really nice to see. So it's going to be nice seeing it more in action. Uh, the fact that it's so intelligent, like, that we are getting more intelligent Grim, like, it's almost like a shout, uh, almost like a callback to Volume 2 in a way, where... Um, Ruby was being told by Professor Ublek with the Goliaths, like the line of Goliaths were staying away from, you know, the towns because, you know, they're smart. They've lived for hundreds of years because they're smart enough to know that if they try to attack it, they'll easily just get killed by hunters and huntresses. So just sort of that callback of we're seeing these um, grim, like, I think like what I said, like people say just, you know, learning from past experiences getting smarter and smarter each time um and then when it just says no when it just says no i went oh no like i missed it the first time but when i went back to watch it i was like oh that's fucked so the fact that the fact that it can speak is just giving me that sort of thought of like is it talking because it used to be human or is it talking because Salem said, hmm, let's give you a voice box for fun. Let's really shit. Let's really make people shit themselves. Because Salem's sadistic. I wouldn't think Salem gave it to him based on how it looks like it. Like, mm. look, the scene, particularly because it, how he moved his neck before, yeah. like, actually speaking. I think he's just, I think this Grim is just the master of uh, adaptation. I think he just uh, it will adapt to every, every moment in. in I can't talk. But it will be it will be growling bubble until it yeah. bursts out. It will be very, very fun to see um how much more of the bloodhound or how much of the hound we're going to get. How much we'll see in the future. And now that is carrying Oscar to Salem, what's Salem's plan for Oscar? Obviously I know I'm thinking way too far into the future, but beat the child. Beat the child. <laughs> yes, uh, beat the child indeed. Um, but I think, uh, but I honestly think we could get more. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be kind of crazy seeing Yang, Ren, and John. Those three having to chase off. They're like now they're almost acting like 
Ironwood in a way where they're leaving Mantle behind just to save this one person. I get it. Oscar is Ospin. Long memory. Oscar's their friend. But will they be reminded that they still have Mantle to save? And will they forget about Mantle in a way? So there's that there's that comparison of are they just like now they're going after Oscar is Oscar you know although he almost a bit like um what Tyrion and um I think I would have said many times or people have said many times a necessary sacrifice but that is going to wrap up uh we're first we're just going to go all around tell and obviously give our final thoughts of the entire episode uh just to point out before we get into that this episode was written by this yeah this episode was written by miles luna himself ah you you did what you did the time i wanted to say that god damn it (laughs) but um but yeah bionic overall thoughts of the episode I'm not even mad at you for that for a bit, but I feel it was a good episode. I've been quiet a lot this one because I've been trying to search stuff. And I finally found it. This was a very good episode. The best part was the Hound. And I finally figured out the time I'm looking for is Digigrade. That's the kind of legs he has right now. I, I don't know why I'm saying this right now. I don't know why. I just like to say that. Dude has got that Digigrade. He's got walking like a goddamn raptor or a chicken. I don't know why. That's like, it, was a good, it was a good episode. I like this. Uh, Vanta? Legged wolf. Uh, I mean, overall, it, this episode is really good, and it continues what the first one started off with, um, like, setting up where everyone is and keeping everyone in that line. Um, and, you know, it gave a few more characters and their thought processes about what's going on, so... I like the episode, you know, it was interesting and it was different than, um, you know, some of what we've had in uh, previous volumes. So that's my thoughts on it. Time. Grim talked. Grim talked. Grim talked. It was Crow. <laughs> it was Crow. <laughs> it was for Crow's always that here. Uh, Borvek? I love this episode. I, 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 it's honestly brought back the memories of when I was back in high school watching the original Volume 1 on the release date. It, it's just that good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Fates? This is an episode full of memes that I didn't feel any real disappointment from. That is a really big improvement. Mm. I would. This is a very good episode, in my opinion. One of my favorites in recent memory. I highly agree. This is a very good episode. And coming from someone like Miles, who we've known is very famous for his sit-down talking episodes like we've had in very good volumes, like Volume 7, Volume 6, and so on and so forth. The fact that he's written something like this, introduced the Bloodhound, got some funny stuff with Weiss and all that, and Nora, just getting that good balance of comedy, seeing more of the world, seeing more of the happy huntresses. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's a big team effort, but Miles, thank you for such a really good episode. Just shows that he can be a really good writer. But that is going to be pretty much the end of this one. 
what is going to be in store for for episode slash chapter three? Who knows? But I'm sure we are all looking. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we're all going to be looking forward to it. So it is going to be a goodbye from Bionic. Yeah, Eddie. Eddie being there may probably made Miles work better. <laughs> uh, it's a goodbye from Vanta. See ya. Until next time. Goodbye from time. Grim talked. Grim talked. <laughs> uh, goodbye from Borvac. Beat the child. I want it. <laughs> So bad! <laughs> and a goodbye from Fates. Sayonara! And a goodbye from me, Pink Rose. Until next time, have fun. Beat the child. Kitty. <laughs> e.